The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday, February 15th, 2023 electronic meeting of the Ann Arbor Transportation Commission. This meeting is being held electronically, but we intend to conduct it similar to an in-person meeting. Public comment will be via telephone or Zoom only. To speak during any of the public comment opportunities, please call 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID number 934-6385-2907 or join via the Zoom link. This information is also available on the published agenda and the public notices section of the city website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN channel 19. Uh, I will now ask Chris to call the roll. 
Okay, I will now call roll. Um, I receive regrets from commissioners who will not be able to attend. Please say here and from where you're dialing in when your name is called. Commissioner Bolden. Okay. Commissioner Agman. Here, Ann Arbor. Commissioner Brogan. Oh, we couldn't hear you even though you were unmuted. Uh, was it me, Commissioner Brogan? Yeah, we can, you're you're unmuted, but we can't hear you. And and Chris, I think Molly's speaking about Megan. So yeah, yeah, Chris, we can hear you. Sorry. There you Is that better? Okay. Yes. I am still here from Ann Arbor. <laughs> okay. Commissioner Automaki. Uh, here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Hook. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Keeler. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Clayman. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Lee. And he is in the waiting room. I'm bringing him forward right now. Okay. Commissioner Yang. Okay. Commissioner Wankoff. Here from Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Okay. Com Commissioner Hess. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner H Hutchinson. Here from Ann Arbor. Okay. Commissioner Margolis, Lieutenant Mike Sherba, and Commissioner Stupka. Uh, okay. Mike Sherba is here from Fenton, Michigan. Okay. Perfect. All right. I believe we have quorum. Great. Thank you. All right, there are two items on tonight's consent agenda, approval of the agenda and approval of the minutes. Are there any modifications to the consent agenda? Okay, is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as presented? I saw Dharma, can I get a second from Brett? Second. Okay, um, all those in favor of the motion, please physically raise your hand or say yes. Yeah. All those opposed? All right, um, consent agenda is approved. Now we are moving into public comment. So this is an opportunity for people to speak for up to three minutes and we will be holding the three minute line tonight because it sounds like we have a few people calling in. Please call 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID number 934-6385-2907 or connect via Zoom as described on the agenda. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one using the last three digits of your phone number or your Zoom ID. In order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone or select the raise hand button in Zoom. You'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. Please move to a quiet area and mute any background sounds. Um, all right, uh, let's hear our first public comment. All right, and one quick little, um thing to note, um, Chris is going to be keeping time. He will give a 30 second um, kind of warning uh, as time is nearing the end. Um, so he'll just interject that. We don't mean to be rude or talk over anyone, but we just want people to be mindful if they're not able to keep track of their time on their end, we'll be doing it on our end for them. Great. Thank you. All right. Uh, and the first speaker that I have with hand raised is David Olson. Uh, David, the floor is yours. 
Thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, my name is David Olson. I live on Brook Street, where I've lived for about five years, and I've lived in the neighborhood for much longer than that. Um, I'm here to address the uh, the proposed uh, sidewalk um, uh, placement on Brook Street. Um, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to input. I appreciate the work you guys are doing, especially in deciding how to prioritize this sort of thing. Um, so uh, I signed the letter, by the way, that Susan Morrison, I think, submitted to you. Um, so uh, that gives you a little idea of where I'm at. I read last week I had forwarded um, Mike Carpenter, the CEO of the Transit Authority, an email from him to some council members saying that he supported uh, putting in sidewalk on Brook Street to access uh, the, the bus stop in question. And he said he, he supported, he wanted that done in particular on Brook Street, which I was surprised. I'd like to know why, because it's um, certainly not because of ridership. The last stats I saw published by MLive um, showed that the 33 bus, which is the one in, that services that bus stop, is one of, was one of the least used pre-pandemic one of the least used routes with 36,000 um, uh, riders per year. Um, I haven't seen any recent stats, but just my own observation and talking with others in the neighborhood, that is, since it reopened, started using again this summer, that number has got to be close to zero. Um, the morning I read that email, I was sitting at my window looking down onto Brook Street and between, for example, 8.30 and 10, AM, there were six full-size city buses went by. Um, four of them were completely empty, not a single passenger. One of them had one single passenger, and one of them um, I couldn't see in completely, looked empty, but there may have been one passenger. So six full-size city buses um, to service one or maybe two uh, passengers. And that goes on for 14 hours a day from 6.45 in the morning until uh, uh, 845 at night. And that was during rush hour. So it's usually less used. I've never seen a single person use that bus stop. Um, and I'm concerned that if we were, I, I already feel frankly, seconds. paying taxpayer money going towards 56 empty and sometimes idling buses is already um, concerning. But now that we may are considering using taxpayer money to um, rip up lawns and cut down trees to give access to a bus stop that is basically unused is frankly really uh, infuriating. Um, so I hope you take that in consideration that this is an extremely uh, 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 unused line in general and certainly that bus stop. Thank so you for your comment, your time thank is you. up. All right, thank you. Um, and our next public commenter. Raymond, you're muted. The next is Marcus Management Inc. Um, I've allowed you to speak. Go ahead and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, commissioners. Thank you for all your hard work that you do. We appreciate your time and dedication to the issues that face the city. And so uh, we acknowledge all the hard work that you have to do. We're here tonight on behalf of Earhart uh, uh, Village Homes Association, which is a condominium community on Earhart Road. I do note that on your agenda tonight, uh, that under the attachment section, uh, unless it hit a previous report that a very voluminous documentation of our concerns was 
provided to the Transportation uh, Commission. We hope that you have that. The, folk, the item at, at, uh, at hand here is the sidewalk that is being planned by the engineering department to run parallel to Earhart Road on its eastern side <clears throat> as it abuts the property of Earhart Village. The main underlying problem is that there's a berm with very mature trees and we have asked that the engineering department include in, our, include in their submission to Transportation Commission our comments and concerns that that sidewalk not be constructed. Uh, the uh, sidewalk is would be located from a legal basis would be located in a sanitary easement and there is no provision in any of the documents that we have been able to garner under FOIA or otherwise that permit a sidewalk to be constructed in a sanitary easement. There is also concern that there is a conservation easement to the north of Earhart Village which precludes any construction whatsoever. So the continuous sidewalk that is planned to run from uh, Gettys Road to US 23 cannot be constructed in total. On the south side of Earhart Village, we also have the Botsford Cemetery. The sidewalk cannot be, as we understand, placed in front of the Botsford Cemetery. So what is being proposed by engineering is a sidewalk that's going to lead to nowhere. It's going to bring down about 50 trees that are 30, 40 years old. It violates the city of Ann Arbor's canopy and forest, uh, forestation uh, plans that are also uh, part of the city's operating motives. And uh, there is similarly, or excuse me, there is also a very serviceable sidewalk on the west side of Earhart Road that could handle all pedestrian traffic all the way from Gettys Road up to 23. It's a very flat sidewalk, it's already in existence. And our opposition is both legal and within the uh, operating system of the Ann Arbor uh, process. Seconds. Thank you. Um, we understand that the next step is to bring this to the Transportation Commission for recommendations and or referral to the City Council. Uh, all such parties have been advised of our opposition to the construction of the sidewalk. And we ask for uh, the, specifically when this issue comes before transportation that our comments and concern be taken into consideration. And again, we thank you for your service. Thank you. Next public commenter. Uh, next, I have Susan. Susan, I have allowed you to talk. Go ahead and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. I was also on the, the, the phone. Um, can, um, anyway, good evening. Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, my name is Susan Morrison, um, and I'm appearing to follow up an emailed letter that was uh, sent on January 27 to you from all the owners and residents on our block of Brook Street. Um, the, the letter recaps the many miles of existing sidewalk gaps and how small the gap millage revenue is each year. The bottom line, it would take over 100 years to fill all the gaps, assuming voters kept renewing the six-year millage. And given that our block is across from an existing sidewalk on a relatively quiet residential street, we pose this question to the city. How fair is it to taxpayers in other parts of the city who have no sidewalks or have higher priority sidewalk gaps to be spending scarce millage funds for a sidewalk for our block across from an existing sidewalk. The city is undertaking 
undertaken and is proposing a number of other projects with a sidewalk on one side only. Uh, for example, the completed 2022 Gap project on a block of Hiscock where it intersects Summit and a proposed stretch of the north side of bidding as a part of the Brook Street project. Another example in the la latest capital improvement plan where a sidewalk on one side only is proposed, where there are no sidewalks on either side now, is on Dexter Road, a highest priority gap west of Maple out to the intersection of Ironwood and Rose. We applaud the one side only approach because it stretches millage funds further. If sidewalks on one side only, are good enough on Dexter Road, which is a bus route on a 35 mile per hour road, why not apply the same one side only approach to our lower priority 25 mile per hour block of Brooks and save some millage dollars? There are also other proposed future gap projects in the latest uh, CIP for sidewalks on one side only on streets with no sidewalks, which I would be happy to, to provide to any of you who are interested. We have two requests to, to the commission. First, Consider recommending to council that the sidewalk gap rank ranking system be modified so that having a sidewalk on one side of a block results in a lower priority ranking than under the current scoring system. In fairness to all taxpayers, the city should spread out the benefit of the millage to more areas by having sidewalks on just one side wherever possible. Second, we request the commission to consider recommending to council seconds. deleting from the Brook Street construction plans the proposed east side sidewalk for our block across from the existing sidewalk uh, between Robin and Hockey Lane and leave it as is. That way, gap millage funds can be more fairly spent where the need is greater on higher priority gaps and on streets that have no sidewalks at all. Um, thank you for your consideration and for your uh, hard work as, uh, as volunteer um, members of the commission. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any other public commenters? We do. Next up is Rita Ross. Uh, Rita, I have gone ahead and allowed you to speak. It looks like you've unmuted. The floor is yours. Thank you. I, I reside at 782 Green Hills Drive and tonight represent Earhart Village Homes Association as its president. The association has a long history with the portion of Earhart Road that runs alongside our community of 174 townhouse style condominiums. In the mid-1970s, just as our condominium construction was completed, Ann Arbor upgraded Earhart from a two-lane dirt road to four paved lanes with a strip in the middle. Unfortunately, the city only took care of the median sporadically, so our maintenance staff took it upon themselves to regularly clear trash from the median and to mow the grass there. The next year, we successfully proposed to the city that it use money from the Elizabeth Dean Fund to re-landscape the median. We developed a master plan for our property with the help of Paul Barely, then the city's forester, and have invested heavily in our tree canopy. In the 1980s and 90s, traffic grew heavier and a resident's son was injured by a speeding vehicle. We continue to caution our residents because passing vehicles often exceed posted speed limits. We did then, and we can continue to support safety measures to reduce speeds and protect pedestrians. Nonetheless, when a proposal to install sidewalks on sections of Earhart Road came before City Council in 1985, our Board of Directors opposed the idea for the same reasons we oppose the sidewalks today. The sidewalks would encroach on our private property and require the removal of our trees. Earhart Village homeowners have attended all the community meetings about the Earhart Road project, beginning from the first one in April of 2019, 
the following December, October 2022, and recently December 14, 2022, to express our concerns. In addition, we invited the project managers, Nick Bailey and Brian Slazuski, to walk our property bordering Earhart Road on December 8th so they could see the impact of their design on our community. Unfortunately, we feel we've been ignored. Our goal is to eliminate the proposed sidewalk. We believe it is unnecessary because a sidewalk already exists on the other side of the street, and the sidewalk proposed would have many gaps, like between the Pine Bray streets, in front of the cemetery, and near our conservation easement. Additionally, we do not believe the city has the authority to construct on our property. We contend that the Earhart Road project will create long-term damage to our mature trees and our plantings. 30 seconds. Unfortunately, the tree canopy was recently damaged from the Concord Pines development where over a thousand trees were destroyed. This project will interfere with our association's 50 plus year commitment to our goals. We believe the plan will diminish our livable community by increasing air and noise pollution, stormwater runoff, peak summer temperatures, removing shade and decrease our privacy. Furthermore, this project is inconsistent with the city's urban forestry plan and sustainable living and innovation initiative. Thank you for your time. You're Thank you. Thank you. Any other commenters? Yes, next is Adam. Adam, I've um, allowed you to speak. Go ahead and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Hello, this is Adam Juskevich calling from the fourth ward. I'd like to talk about sidewalks. Sidewalks are an essential and basic part of our public infrastructure. Like our streets, fire hydrants, storm sewers, and yes, buses, and so forth, many of us may take them for granted, especially those of us who already have sidewalks in our neighborhood. We take them for granted right up to the point that we encounter a sidewalk gap, a place where a sidewalk by all means should be present, but for some accident of history. Those of us who are able, like myself, may decide to tramp along despite the gap, creating a goat path, or we may cross the street, which may or may not be safe at that point. We may need to cross back to get to our destination, or we may be forced to simply walk in the street. People using wheelchairs or pushing strollers or kids riding their bike or their big wheel have fewer options, and some might be quite a bit more dangerous. Children and the elderly are particularly vulnerable if they are hit by an inattentive driver. With the sidewalk millage a couple years ago, voters made it clear that filling all of our sidewalk gaps is important to us. The most common reason I hear for not filling a gap was that the assessment was too expensive for adjacent property owners. Despite the fact that most of us already paid for the sidewalks in front of our house by virtue of them being included when our house was built, in order to get past that objection and continue to move forward together as a city to fill our sidewalk gaps, I supported that millage because I believe every street in the city should have sidewalks on both sides as basic infrastructure. I supported it so we could all chip in and get past that objection. And I voted for people who I believe are willing to put the needs of the many above the objections of the few. But now I see in the packet that some people are trying to move the goalposts. Every time we solve one objection, there's a new one. We'll have to cut down trees. Yes, we value our trees in this city, that's great but we have options in many cases. We can put the sidewalk behind the trees or move the curb and put the sidewalk between the trees and the street. I'm beginning to suspect that some people just don't want to see their neighbors walking past their house. I urge transportation commission and council not to allow a handful of adjacent property owners to veto our city's stated priorities. We need a complete network of sidewalks on both sides of every street throughout the city. 
Let's keep moving on this. We have a lot of gaps to fill and we have to keep chipping away at it. We have committed ourselves to cut vehicle miles traveled in half and we aren't going to get there if we put off building basic infrastructure such as sidewalks and bike lanes. Thank you. Thank you. Any other commenters? Yes, next up I have Daniel Adams. Uh, Daniel, I've gone ahead and allowed you to speak. Go ahead and unmute yourself, the floor is yours. Good evening, uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Hello? Yep. Um, you know, the language of sidewalk opposition and I've followed this, this issue in Ann Arbor for a while, um, the sort of opposition I think we're hearing tonight, it's, it's really the timeless rhetoric of the free rider. You know, it's selfish, it's protectual, it's sophistic. We live in a city and cities have sidewalks, not on one side of the street, um, not sidewalks that force kids to walk in the street or cross the street. I moved to a city in part because I grew up in a subdivision that lacked sidewalks. So I walked and I played and I rode my bike in traffic. Sidewalks here are table stakes, they're basic safety infrastructure. And when a person opposes something like that, that has broad community consensus and that has been litigated extensively through the political process and resolved the way it has here, that supports and advances multiple community objectives, including safety for kids, it, it won't do to oppose the thing straight away. So we're not hearing that tonight. We're not hearing people being honest about what's going on. Instead of hearing, I enjoy sidewalks just when they're in front of other people's homes, when they're paid for by other people, but I don't desire to have it in front of my house. We, hear, we don't hear that. We hear things like, this sidewalk would be better if it was built somewhere else, or what about the trees, or we already have a sidewalk on one side of the street. One-sided sidewalks aren't good enough. There's a federal study that demonstrates that they're not good enough, that they're less safe, but we don't need a study to tell us something that we can discern with logic. It's a bad idea to force kids and pedestrians to cross a street to use a sidewalk. Um, this is personal for me. I live in this neighborhood. I live on Daniel Street. I routinely walk, bike, run um, along Brooks. Um, I've watched with dismay as a similar group of NIMBY residents fought to delay a sidewalk project on Sunset, and they argued the same way these homeowners are here, that one sidewalk on one side of the street servicing two public schools is good enough. That was wrong then. It's wrong now. It's wrong here. Build this sidewalk. But maybe this isn't the answer. Maybe the answer is, let's take these objections at their word. If these folks are so concerned about the prioritization of sidewalk projects under the millage, how the city is spending its money, then spend the money on another project. Spend it on Sunset. Backdate this project until after the sidewalk millage has expired. Then these homeowners can fill the sidewalk gap themselves with a direct assessment as every homeowner in the city used to pay for sidewalks. It seems as though that's what they seconds. want. We should give it to them. Thank you. Any other commenters? Yes, I have two more still with raised hands. Next is uh, Eric. Uh, Eric, I've gone ahead and allowed you to speak. Go ahead and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Hi, my name is Eric Ivansich and I live in the third ward and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak before you. I'm here to express my strong support for filling in all sidewalk gaps in the city in general and specifically along Brook Street and Earhart Road, given my understanding that adjacent homeowners uh, have objected to sidewalks in these places using a standard and tired set of reasons. Our residents and our city's guests have the right to safely traverse our city on foot or with assistive devices such as wheelchairs or walkers. Adjacent landowners should never be given a veto over this fundamental right. 
I've lived at my current address in the third ward for about 25 years and done my part to maintain the adjacent sidewalk. And it's a true pleasure seeing the sidewalk used daily by children and their by children and families on their way to and from school, families and gaggles of kids headed to the park, those getting exercise, people engaged in conversation or walking their dogs, and so forth. This all adds to the vibrancy, livability, and equity of this neighborhood and of our city. No resident or landowner should be given, should be able to deny these positive accommodations to others, much less the fundamental right of safe travel. I have direct experience with the lack of sidewalks along Brook Street. My niece and nephew lived on Brook Street near Miller when they were very young, and when I was caring for them, I would often take them on strollers walks through the neighborhood. Brooks has a couple of crests in the 1200 and 1300 blocks, making it difficult to see approaching traffic. And for safety reasons, I never even considered pushing a stroller in the street there. And that limited where we could walk. I've also cared for their family dog while they traveled and walked her through the neighborhood. And it was always a bit unnerving walking in the street along Brooks, having to be hypervigilant, ready to pull the dog up onto the curb in case a driver seemed to be approaching too close. This is not acceptable. I urge the members of the Transportation Commission to work to fill in all these sidewalk gaps and to reject the tired reasons adjacent landowners have long used to try to deny this most basic accommodation to their neighbors, fellow citizens, and our city's guests. Thank you. Thank you. And our next commenter. Next, we have Orna Ehrlich. I've allowed you to speak. Go ahead and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Great, thank you very much. Hi, my name is Orna Ehrlich and I live on Mark Hanna Place. Um, I wanted to put forth for the Transportation Committee to consider creating a blinking crosswalk at the intersection of Huron Street and Arbana Drive. Uh, kids from the neighborhood use this intersection to cross over to attend Lawson Middle School and I see many residents running across Huron, which is very dangerous. Additionally, there are bus stops on both sides of that intersection, so people often cross to get to the bus stop. And, and the Salvation Army is also located on that corner. So there are patrons that use the bus or um, attend the food pantry. And again, I see them crossing at that intersection and I'm, I'm very concerned that without a crosswalk, someone is going to get seriously injured. Um, I know there is precedent in other major streets across Ann Arbor with blinking crosswalks. For instance, on Stadium, um, there are two crosswalks between Packard and Brockman traffic lights to cross into the neighborhood. So I know there is precedence for this. Um, and I understand that this road um, here on street is under the MDOT um, oversight, but given your partnership in, in the corridors, including looking at crosswalks on Jackson and, and here on, um, I implore you to consider this additional crosswalk before someone gets injured. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Was that our last one or do we have any more? We, uh, Jack Dean has their hand raised. Jack, I have gone ahead and allowed you to speak and unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to echo in, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the um, things mentioned by the other commenters. You know, I believe that uh, the sidewalk gaps are an incredibly important uh, piece to our transportation infrastructure, being able to walk, bike, wheelchair, whatever you need to do to get around on foot and without a car is just kind of the building block to being able to use other transportation systems. Uh, Brooks in particular has bus stops right along that route already. So being able to walk and access those stops um, 
is is just critical to reducing our vehicle miles traveled as we've set out in uh, the A2 Vision Zero goals. So uh, please fill in as many sidewalk gaps as possible. I understand the people that are living on these streets that may not want them. I, I do understand where they're coming from. Um, but the truth is there were trees there before we made a road and you know now we use that all the time. So I think we do need to uh, make sure that our walking infrastructure is an entire network and not just a, seg a series of segments that you can use, but a network that you can walk to all over the place. Um, without it creating a, a full network, you just don't get the impact uh, or the possibilities for a full walking, biking abilities. Um, yeah, as the other commenter mentioned, a uh, sidewalk on the other side of the street just isn't enough. It can be dangerous, causes people to cross traffic at unexpected places. Uh, and if you speak with drivers, they don't want that either. You don't want unexpected pedestrians uh, in your driving route. So um, that's all I have to say. But other than please uh, fix all the sidewalk gaps. Thank you. Thank you. Any other commenters? Molly, I'm not seeing any other hands up. All right, great. Well, thank you to everyone who called in tonight. Um, moving along to the um, business of the meeting today. So we've got uh, the 2022 annual report. So included in our packet is the final draft of the Transportation Commission's annual report. Raymond's gonna talk about some of the changes since last month, and then uh, we will take a vote on whether we want to approve the, uh, this report. Thank you, Molly. Um, just largely some cosmetic changes. I think most of the content is largely the same. We had some formatting issues and a couple of little Scrivener's errors that we cleaned up, um, some formatting. So really, I don't need to highlight those. Um, I did want to draw your attention to one thing, though, because there was a request. Um, first of all, we do have um, Molly's introductory statement now. So uh, thank you for that. Um, kind of a, a mic drop, if you will. <laughs> um, the one thing I wanted to mention is there were a couple um, cut and paste errors uh, in the previous uh, draft um, related to some of the actions that occurred and what the outcome was. Uh, so we went through and double checked those and hopefully all of those are reflected correctly now. Um, but the one thing I wanted to mention is there was a request related to the files uh, section. Um, there was a request to hotlink these files. So then that way if folks wanted to quickly you know, double check, you know, transportation project updates for March 2022, uh, they could just click on this. We were a little hesitant to do that because as I'm sure all of you have experienced in your life, uh, links will often break because systems get updated or extensions change or whatever the case may be. So what we added instead is um, there is a way in Legistar. So when you access the commission packet or, any, you know, when you go into the portal to access commission information, um, there are several different tabs at the very top. If you click on the legislation tab and you simply enter in this file ID number or any of these file ID numbers, it will take you straight to that file. So it's maybe one or two extra clicks than a, a direct link from this report, um, but it's it still feels like this is maybe a better um, approach. So then that way, the file ID in theory should be kind of the primary key using like database type language that will live on in perpetuity. Uh, even if the systems change. So um, I think if you all are fine with that, we thought that might be a good little compromise, just noting it here at the top of this page that you can access these files through Legistar and the legisla legislation tab, uh, and you have all the information you need to access that. 
So those were the big changes from last month to this month. We do think we've addressed all the comments that we've heard from you. We've made the corrections on our end. Uh, so if you're happy with the document, we'd love to get a recommendation of approval from you tonight so that we can forward it on, post it online. Uh, this forwards on to council as well. Great, thank you. Any questions or comments? All right, I'm not seeing any and we've already been through this uh, report before. So I feel comfortable just moving us straight to a vote. Uh, so is there a motion to approve the annual report and distribute it accordingly? I saw um, Wan Wu and um, Megan as second. Uh, all those in favor, please physically raise your hand or say yes. All those opposed? Any abstentions? I'm gonna give Larry a second to unmute if needed. All right. Um, did I say all those opposed? All those opposed? All right. Um, great. The motion passes and uh, the annual report is done and ready to go. So thanks to Chris and Raymond for all your work on that. Um, next up. Thank you to all of you for your work throughout the year. I think it's kind of always telling how much is done by this commission. So tip of the hat to you all. Thank you. Um, next up, we have the 20, fiscal year 2024 policy agenda input. So included in our packet is the latest draft of the 2024 policy agenda input for city council's consideration. Uh, staff tried to capture the suggestions that we made last month and incorporate them into this latest draft. So Raymond is gonna walk us through those changes. And then again, we'll have a chance to vote um, to approve the um, agenda input and send it on to council. All right, uh, is the policy agenda recommendation yep. showing? Okay, thank you. Always have so many screens open. I always make sure I'm pointing at the right. <laughs> All right, so what I was gonna try to do is quickly highlight the changes. There weren't a lot from last month to this month. There was some good conversation that was had. Uh, so we just tried to capture that. And again, if we didn't get it right, please, there's no pride of authorship. Um, you know, Let us know and we can tweak that language. Um, so I think this bullet stayed the same, advocate for MDOT and rail operators to provide safe non-motorized crossings. Um, allow the RTA and other governmental units that stayed the same. Um, this removal was suggested last time. This was one of the thing. This was one of the bullets where there was some discussion um, trying to make sure we, you know, accessibility is used in different ways. So if we understood the conversation correctly, um, it sounded like the easiest way to address this would just change the language to read use access to jobs, food, school and recreation as an evaluation criteria for analysis of transportation investments. Um, what this does is removes the term accessibility because a lot of times accessibility refers to you know, persons with disabilities. Um, and while that may be implied in this bullet, it's not strictly speaking to that point is I think I between what uh, and, and Molly were discussing at the last meeting. Um, and then another suggestion, which is um, somewhat related to this, but I think maybe slightly different was another one that I think Wan Wu brought up, which was strengthen non-motorized transportation opportunities, including through the use of linear parks. Um, so again, you know, to Wan Wu, if we didn't capture this correctly, please feel free to massage that language to make sure it reflects what you wanted to say. Um, let's see. And I think 
other was oh um that's right we removed um reference to the the bounty so but the I think the intent stays the same this talks about taking enforcement action to maintain clear bike lanes this may include launching a program whereby residents can report infractions uh, and develop a mechanism by which to track repeat offenders so I think this latter part of this sentence is new and taking out the reference to bounty uh, and changing citizen to resident uh, is the other change that was there. And I think those were the changes from last month to this month. So I'll gladly turn it back over to you to see if we are getting closer, if we kind of captured your sentiments correctly or not. Uh, and we're, you know, happy to make sure we get it right before you approve it. Great. Thank you. Any questions or comments? If you can use use the raise hand button since we're staying in um, screen. Oh, I can, or you can. I, just, I can stop share or is it easy? Yeah, yeah you can stop share. And then if we need to look okay. back again, we can just look back. Okay. But. I am not seeing any hands. And again, this is something we've been over, we've been through a couple rounds on. So um, is there a motion to approve the Transportation Commission fiscal year 24 policy agenda input as presented and forward it to city council? I saw Juan Wu seconded by Brett. Um, all those in favor, please raise your hand or say yes. Yes. All those opposed? And yes to the Oh, yes to the other one, too. Thank you, Larry. Well, yeah, I, it took me a minute to get unmuted. I don't know what's up with the phone. I know, it's it's tough on the phone. Um, all those opposed? Any abstentions? Motion passes. Um, so this is ready to go on to council. Um, thanks, everyone. Yeah, and Molly, if I may make one, I, I can't remember if I said this in the last meeting. Um, with your permission, um, is it all right if I just reorganize some of the bullets so that they're kind of clustered around theme? The, they'll be kept intact entirely. I won't do any editing, but um, sometimes we kind of bounce from something related to pedestrians here and then it bounces further down. So um, I didn't want to do that in track changes because if you've ever cut and pasted in track changes, it just turns into a bloodbath of red ink. And I didn't think that would be fun to look at. So um, is, if there are no objections to that, I might reorganize some of the bullets just so that they're kind of clustered around theme. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on to the information and discussion portion of the evening. Uh, first, we have the Earhart Project update with Nicholas Bailey and Cynthia Redinger. Hello, well, Transparency Commission. Thank you for uh, letting us give you an informational uh, update on the Earhart Project. Uh, Raymond, can I share? I can. Perfect. All right. Let's get this. All right. So, uh, just to get us started on the project, it's uh, Earhart Road between Gettys all the way through to US 23. Uh, the project's going to have a couple of different features added to it that aren't there now. We're looking to add some roundabouts to help with traffic calming, include dedicated bike lanes throughout the length of the project, add some sidewalk gap filling between Conquer Pines and Glazier Way. That'll be on the eastern side of the road. And uh, we have a project webpage where we keep all of our minutes uh, up to date. And 
that's at the A2Gov Earhart page. Are you planning to share your screen? I just... oh, did I not share the screen? Sorry, that didn't work out at all. Excuse me. Exit. Oh. Now I'm in trouble. Can't get out. And if you are having technical difficulties, Nicholas, let me know and I can, I'll start bringing it up on my end. You can always share it if you tell me when to advance the slides. Apologize for that. Oh, there you go. You're good. Can you see now? Oh, sorry about that. Much apologies. So uh, the, going through that slide, that first slide, kind of his introduction, I have a banner on top that shows the uh, the length of the job, but we'll look at that more closely uh, in further slides. Uh, so the project starts over at Gettys at the uh, roundabout uh, near the Concordia University barn and goes all the way up to US 23. It's about 1.3 miles in length. Uh, our objective is to increase uh, traffic calming by including roundabouts, uh, dedicated bike lanes, and there'll be sidewalk gap filling on the eastern side between Concord Pines and Gettys. And we have a, a web page set up here for, for the project as well. All right. Um, so part of the project uh, is to, to change the road surface that uh, currently has a PASER rating of two and three, which are considered poor and very poor. So certainly on a high priority for the city for repaving. And while we're doing that work, we also want to include uh, a multimodal transportation uh, advances. So we want to add a dedicated bike lane and throughout the project on both sides and include some bike sidewalk, sorry, include sidewalk gap links. Uh, we have several intersection improvements at Walden Woods South. We'll be removing a turn lane and reducing the impervious area. Uh, the lane is necessary uh, for our traffic needs. Uh, we have Green Hills South will be having the new roundabout at Ridgemar uh, Square. There's an intersection that has a through uh, intersection, and we're looking to either close that off or restrict it to left turn turn movements only to improve both impervious area reduction, but also to improve traffic patterns. And at Waldenwood North, we'll be adding uh, a new roundabout. And in Glazer Way, there'll be a new roundabout uh, project will be constructed this year, 2023. We've had uh, multiple project uh, public engagement meetings through its inception and through the planning of it. Uh, right back from 2013, uh, we started contacting with the community in 2019 and have had multiple meetings uh, up until through December uh, of last year. And we will be having another uh, meeting with the Earhart uh, community as the plans come further develop. Uh, when we did reach out to the community back in uh, most recently in 2021, we had an active uh, collection of opinions and we were hearing strong opinions uh, on these main categories. And um, uh, motorists, Little trouble here. Arr, PowerPoint. Okay. Uh, clearly, one of the issues was motorist speeding. Uh, there are currently no uh, stop controlled intersections or uh, traffic lights throughout that length. And so there is a tendency for motorists in the wider asphalt uh, sections to accelerate. Uh, so we do recognize that that's something that can be accomplished. 
through a reuse or reallocation of the surface area. Uh, we were incorporating sidewalks, we heard through the, as one of the questions or comments, uh, improving crosswalks, uh, dedicated bike lanes were requested, and uh, street intersection design improvements. So uh, as part of that, we have a couple of different cross sections through the existing street. Here, this highlighted, uh, there's a top banner uh, with the limits uh, starting at Gettys and at the peak, or the first section of the road, uh, let's say near Pinebriar South, there is a section where the road is quite narrow and there are some mature trees on the on both sides of the road. Uh, there was an existing sidewalk, is an existing sidewalk that was placed a number of years ago. Uh, our proposal is to uh, remove those trees to allow for a widening of the road. Uh, and we would bring that cross section up to the existing sidewalk with a slight swale to help with drainage on the road. This would allow for a six foot bike lane northbound and a six foot bike lane southbound and maintain two 10 foot driving lanes. Uh, another cross section here is uh, through the uh, Green Hills South to the Green Hills North area or the Earhart Village area right up to Glacier Way. Uh, that area is currently boulevarded and uh, has two lanes predominantly in each direction. And in many locations, there's a third lane for a left-hand turn movement with existing sidewalk uh, on the west side. We are seeking to change the configuration to include a dedicated bike lane with a protected uh, zone, uh, include an 11-foot uh, vehicular moving lane in each direction and then get on the other side, a five foot dedicated uh, bike lane with a pedestrian sidewalk uh, and a retaining wall uh, given the existing gradings. Here we have, uh, I'd try to break up the whole uh, banner so we could see it a little bit better. Uh, and so you can kind of go through the, uh, the full length of the project. Uh, we will be having a, a single painted lines uh, bike lane starting at the south in both directions uh, as the existing pavement area is quite narrow. We will be widening it uh, eight and a half feet through the, the top of Knoll at Pine Byer South uh, to maintain that cross section through that area. Uh, as we get further uh, to the north up to your Pine Briar North, the pavement cross section is a little wider there. And so it doesn't require any additional widening. We're just able to reallocate the use of that asphalt between the curb lines there. It's uh, not curbed further to the south. And um, then as we continue on through uh, up to Waldenwood, uh, this is Waldenwood South, we have multiple uh, road names that are the same that intersect Earhart. So I'll be adding in uh, south and north, even though those are not conventional for, for the actual street names. Uh, here we will be uh, reducing the, or removing the left-hand or right-hand turn lane, sorry, right-hand turn lane, narrowing up the road in that area to keep it consistent uh, with the rest of the that cross-section in that area. And here we're able to have a, uh, a protected area. It's not a, it's a pavement marked with uh, city posts, the, the three foot high, uh, three inch diameter posts. Um, 
And then we continue along until we get to the boulevarded section where we have our first roundabout going to the north at Green Hills South. Uh, and then we have more uh, asphalt in this area to work with. Our intention is to maintain the curb lines where they are and reallocate the, the, the use of that so that we have uh, vehicles as close to the median as we can, and then a, a, an area that's not being used for travel and then a bike lane. This is where the uh, sidewalk comes in, starting at the end, uh, south end of the Concord Pines and running through across the uh, frontage of the Earhart Village and then through past uh, Green Hills North and continuing on all the way through to the Glacier Hills uh, community homes and up to Glacier Way. Uh, let's go back a little bit here at Ridmar. We this is where we have that open intersection right now, uh, and the traffic department would like to eliminate potential conflicts between left-hand turn movements as people are coming out of Ridgemar and coming out of this other. Uh, I don't remember the name of the street here, but it's a uh, small access to a multiple-unit uh, facility. So the idea is to either eliminate it or to restrict it to left turns in each direction going into the property, not coming out. That way we can keep the traffic separated. And then uh, the rest of the through to uh, Glacier Way, we have a similar cross section where uh, we try to maintain the pavement width that's for vehicles uh, uh, to the same 11 foot. And sometimes we have a hatch zone to the uh, left of the vehicle and sometimes to the right. Generally, we are keeping that as consistent as we can and using the, to get the vehicles lined up for the roundabouts. There is some uh, movement of the vehicular lanes as we approach those roundabouts. And then here at Glacier Way, we have uh, an elliptical roundabout rather than a, a typical round roundabout. And then after that, up to US 23, uh, a different cross section. Uh, there's less pavement there uh, width. And so we are keeping with one uh, lane in each direction and then a three foot to five foot uh, hatch zone, and then the five foot bike lanes in both directions. Uh, improving or adding a cross section, uh, a sidewalk here at the middle of Glacier uh, Homes, and then adding one at Kipling as well. All right, so that kind of describes the project as, as it stands at this development at this point. Uh, it, we're still in design and we are working uh, to finalize that. And then our next step will be going out for bid in April and, and possibly May. And then we're hoping to have construction through the summer. And uh, it will probably take through till into fall. Great, thank you. Questions and comments? Dharma. I'm sorry if you said this uh, already. There's a lot of detail. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, what type of bike lanes are being put in? Are they buffered? And is the intention to put vertical delineators at some point? Or what is this type of bike infrastructure? Perhaps I'll defer to Cynthia here. But yes, we will have some areas that are white striped through the south 
but then where it allows, we will be putting in the, the, the bollards, the city posts uh, with a offset zone. Yeah, to follow up on that, the, you know, we are looking at um, a significant amount of buffering in the area that's currently four lanes. So in the area that is currently only a cross section of two vehicular lanes, those, that's where we're doing the widening to provide the bike lanes. And to the north of there, where it widens out to more than the two vehicular lanes, including through the boulevard section. Um, the area that isn't that we're reallocating from the vehicular lanes will have buffering in them, but we will also be having vertical elements. And this, you know, this project isn't scoped out to do a lot of concrete work, so we'll be looking at a combination of mostly city posts, but then also using um, like quick curb sections, the recycled rubber sections uh, similar to those that are um, have been installed out on Barton um, and using those to to help delineate the space and really give definition to the roundabouts. Thank you. Pete. Um, thanks for the presentation. Um, are there going to be sidewalks on both sides of Earhart through the entire project area? Uh, I'm trying to resolve or what or I'm not. No, there, so there will can be we... sidewalks on both sides uh, from Gettys up to Pine Byer South, as there are now. Then there will only be sidewalk along the west side through to uh, the Concord Pines subdivision, at which point there is a piece that the Concord Pines it's has put in on the east side. You said and west. Then, oh, sorry. On the on the west side is the existing sidewalk, and then at Concord Pines, they'll that's where the new sidewalk will can is going to continue through as the new sidewalk on the east side. So, what is inhibiting us from putting sidewalks in the entire project area? What what can we do to achieve that? If I could jump, if I could jump in there, Nicholas. Um, uh, two things. One cost. Um, we've scraped our pennies together to be able to get the sidewalk in that we are putting in right now. Um, if we were to continue on, we would have to scrap another sidewalk gap project somewhere else in order to be able to afford it. Um, the further south you get the and the priority score gets lower. Um, there's also some pretty substantial technical challenges in that last piece down there. So that that's gonna have to be looked at as a separate project in the future. Um, that last piece could be quite expensive due to the due to the grade challenges and grades and trees and, and all of that. So that that's the reason why it doesn't go all the way. Um, I guess I will just say that that I'm in favor of adding as much as possible on both sides and um for us to touch this area with a project like this and, and not finish them on both sides. I mean, I, I think we have to have a very compelling reason to leave those those pieces left undone. I mean, this feels like the time to do it. Thank you. Brett? Yeah, thank you. A great presentation and exciting project. Um, I just wanted to confirm that the new sidewalk will 
be added north of Green Hills Drive through the uh, so-called conservation easement. So it will connect to the Glacier Hills development. Is that correct? Yeah, the limits are correct. All the work will be within the right-of-way. There's no work uh, associated with the sanitary easement. Um, so it's all, all the proposed work is within the, the public right-of-way. Right, and, and you will be able to go through the conservation easement. So it, it's not, a, uh, the, the new segment will connect at least on the north end to that, you know, well, I mean, it's gonna connect two large developments, right? A hundred, we heard tonight, however many hundred people live in the, the Green Hills Drive um, condo area, as well as the Glacier Hills um, senior living community. So I think it's great to be able to connect that whole east side um, from Green Hills or Concord, Concord Pines all the way north. So that's something, um, although like like Pete said, it would be nice to continue going south <clears throat> to Gettys, but um, there were concerns that it would be just, the new segment would be a segment on its own in a vacuum, but that doesn't appear to be the case. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that at least. Any other questions or comments? Is this likely to come back to the commission at any point in the future, or is this this is the moment? This is this is the moment. Um, I mean, we're trying to get this project out to bid here as soon as possible, so um, I don't anticipate it coming back. Great. I will note, and Nick and Raymond, you might have to help me with the history on this one, but. Um, some of these changes had been proposed for Earhart a couple of years ago, and they came to the Transportation Commission. And th at the time, the commission, I believe, did did have a vote and voted to um, in favor of the changes. And I know that there's more detail in the plan at this point. And it's at the time it was intended to be a pilot, um, so there's it's not exactly the same. But um, there was a past round of review on the commission that um, was in support of these kinds of changes for Earhart. Yeah, you're correct, Molly. I think um, under the, you know, some of the rules of council have changed. Um, under the older rules, um, council had to approve any sort of road diet or road reconfiguration. And so typically the par for course, for what we do is whenever there is a, a specific action item for council to deliberate uh, on a transportation issue, aside of just awarding a contract, um, you know, we will take that to the Transportation Commission first for a recommendation before giving it to city council. So, you know, this parking removal, any of the things that require council, a special action of council. So that's why back in, I think, 2019, um, you know, we brought that to Transportation Commission for a recommendation. They recommended positive uh, leave for that. Uh, that was just for the road reconfiguration portion that that was, you know, the idea was it was going to be kind of a pilot uh, at the time. Um, and so it would have been the, you know, road diet, road reconfiguration with the roundabout kind of um, but it, it, at that time, it hadn't contemplated sidewalks or things like that, because the budget at that time was just a, a more temporary measure leading up to this permanent project. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and I'm happy, I'm really happy to see the bike lanes and sidewalks as well. That's all great. Um, any other comments or questions on this? Dharma? Yeah, I think I just wanted to comment on, I really appreciated uh, you front-loading this uh, presentation with the public feedback that you got sounds like there were several rounds of public engagement 
And from what I'm gathering from your presentation, one of the top things was uh, improving the incomplete sidewalks. So to me, it's a clear indicator that this was already um, flagged as a gap, so to speak, um, by the people that live and utilize this area to get around. Thanks. All right. Oh, I want to move. Thanks. Um, I wanted to bring up, obviously, we got this letter from the Earhart uh, Village Homes Association. I imagine a lot of engagement's been done in that respect. Uh, one of the questions I actually wanted to just um, ask more broadly, um, are there uh, plans in the future to connect Gettys um, just on the west side? And I'm just trying to figure out, like, again, from a network standpoint to address the gaps Basically, I'm, I'm looking at kind of the bridges on Gettys and way north on Earhart. And so I'm just trying to better understand. So at Concordia, uh, going west on Gettys, are there plans to fill in that gap eventually? Are, are you talking about the section of, section of Gettys Road between here on Parkway and Earhart? Yeah, yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. It, it is in the capital improvement plan. Okay. Um, it's going to be an extreme, when I talk about the difficulty of that last piece on sure. here, this is going to be an order of magnitude or more more difficult than that. It is going to be a massively expensive project just to get sidewalk on one side of the road out there. It's yeah. very narrow. There's no place to put sidewalk in there. It's probably going to involve a lot of retaining walls, maybe some sure. boardwalks. There's probably going to be a lot of environmental impact out there. Um, yeah. It is an extremely expensive project, millions of dollars in order mm -hmm. to build that sidewalk as we've estimated it previously. So there's going to be a lot of challenges with trying to figure out how to be able to do that. It does score pretty high in terms of the priority out there, but yeah. um, cost is going to be a huge challenge that we're going to have to overcome. Um, and, uh, it, it's th and that's kind of a theme for several other large sidewalk gaps that uh, around the city that are going to be very expensive to build. And it's something we're going to have to look at in the future as to like how we can manage um, to do that. Because if we if we were to do this project in Gettys, we wouldn't fill any other sidewalk gaps for three years. Okay, gotcha. Understood. Yeah, so I mean, it's going to be a trade-off. So yeah. I appreciate it. Um, I, I wanted to bring up some of the concerns that they had just, just for... Uh, points of uh, discussion. And again, let me be clear from, from my standpoint. I mean, again, I've talked about it at Planning Commission. I'll talk about it here. Porosity and strengthening non-motorized transit should be a priority for the city. Um, obviously, again, I, I want people to feel safe having to walk around as a matter of equity and, and again, access as we talked about. That being said, I am looking at this and, and reading their letter and, and trying to make sure that I'm get, engaging with their points as, again, earnestly as I can. Um, how would we reconcile the removal of, uh, again, protected landmark trees and the forestry plan and kind of like weighing these two values? And I just wondered if um, somebody from the city staff could kind of speak to, again, that uh, just a reconciliation of, hey, is the extension of the non-motorized transit path worth the removal of these 30 plus landmark trees and how, how do we get kind of address that yeah i can i can speak to that um I, I'll, I'll speak to this in general terms first yeah, um, sure of course generally speaking when we do sidewalk gaps 
when we do a sidewalk gap project, we do whatever we can to try to avoid impacts to trees. Um, and you'll see that in many cases as the sidewalk is going to, you know, move around it. Maybe, maybe we get an easement from a property owner. We move it in onto their property rather than in the public right of way to avoid a tree. Or there's cases like on Brook Street where we're pulling the sidewalk in a little bit in order to go in towards the street to get it around it. We can't always do that, but we try as hard as we can to avoid those impacts as much as possible. Um, in the case of, of Earhart, um, we have a lot of trees that were planted on private property that were very close to the property line. Um, and when we put the sidewalk through in the space that we have in the public right of way, um, with the berm and the trees planted up on the berm and everything, there, there's going to be some impacts and we're going to work with the adjacent property owner to figure out how we can mitigate those impacts. Um, but in, in summary, we, we try to avoid them when we can, but there's sometimes it's not possible. Okay, I, I appreciate that. And then um, it seems like Dharma and Peter have, um, hopefully if they're related comments, I'll yield time, thanks. Thanks. Uh, Dharma. Just a follow-up point of clarification, the trees that are on the Earhart project, are they landmark trees? I don't know if the designation is appropriate because I think many of the trees that we're talking about um, that you've heard of from the Earhart Village folks are on private property. So um, I, 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 my tree knowledge is limited, so <laughs> I can't tell you if that designated designation necessarily applies or not. Okay, thanks. Um, to just really quickly to quote their letter, they say it's the removal of 30 plus healthy mature trees. So they didn't necessarily call them landmarks. So let me clarify that point. Sorry, that, that that's my misreading. Thanks. Thanks. Pete. To that same point about the uh, the 30 mature trees, um, it, it sounds like we don't know how many trees would have to be removed. That's what I'm hearing from you, Nick. We don't know that yet. How many trees would be affected? I'll defer to Nicholas on that. I think we probably have a pretty good idea at this point. Yeah, it, we're still working through where we can locate that sidewalk in uh, relation to the retaining wall and uh, work with our forestry department to determine if that will impact the root structure of those private, uh, the trees that are on the private side. So uh, the ones that are within the right of way that we will need to remove, uh, that's about. 25 at this point uh, through that between uh, Green Hills uh, and Glacier Way. Okay, thank you. And I'll add to um, Pete that we will be looking at doing replantings as well. I mean, obviously planting a new young tree is not the same thing as having a you know a mature healthy tree there, but um, you know we will do what we can to mitigate that by doing replantings. Okay, thank you. All right, not seeing any other questions or comments on this one. Um, so thank you all for your presentation on this. Uh, I'm excited to see um, these improvements moving forward after um, several years. So thank you. Um, all right, moving on to uh, the pavement condition dashboard overview with Nick Hutchinson. Thank you very much. Um, let me share my screen here. Um, okay, is can everybody see that? Yep, coming through. Okay, 
Excellent. Um, so first of all, I want to uh, um, I want to mention that uh, the uh, the link to this dashboard is was included in the in the um, homework packet. Um, so if you if you if anybody needs to find it or would like to go and look at this a little bit further, um, the link is present in there or just, you know, shoot me an email too would be the other option. Um, so this dashboard is something we had been working on trying to pull together for a long time. And it's, I guess, what I'll call a multifaceted dashboard. Um, it's got several, it's actually four dashboards combined into one site. Um, and up here at the very top, there is a brief intro up here um, with a lot with some explanations, some caveats and whatnot. And then there's four different links and you can either scroll down to get to each of these or click on the links to get there as a shortcut. Um, and they all show slightly different things related to our road network. Um, the first one is pavement condition. Um, and then we have the other three are related to either existing projects that are occurring um, or about to occur or projects that are looking a little further down the line just so that people can see what's coming up. Um, so I'm gonna go through these real quickly. I don't think this is gonna take too long, um, but I just wanna give people an idea of this tool that's available. Um, so starting out here, the first uh, dashboard here is the pavement condition dashboard. And uh, this is all based on the PACER rating system. Um, which is a one to 10 rating system with um, for evaluating pavement condition. Uh, the, the, with the 10 being the highest quality pavement, uh, that would be your freshly paved street that was just done uh, down to a one, which would be the worst um, um, rating. Um, we, have, uh, we have some stats over here, like any good dashboard would have. We've got our... Um, you see the average PACER rating for both major and local streets. Um, we uh, um, we kind of split that out so that we can see uh, where we stand on those. About a third of our system is major is classified as major roads, and two thirds is classified as local streets. Um, and then you can see uh, you know some pie charts about where we are in terms of like kind of the good, fair, poor, you know, general categories um, to get a quick glimpse on where we stand on both of those. And then you've got the bar chart down here at the bottom um, where you can see, you know, where we, uh, you know, how many are falling to each of that category or how many miles fall into each of that category. And then the really handy side, I think, over here is this uh, um, this graph over or this map over here on the side uh, where you can scroll in and you can see um, everywhere where um, uh, what the rank, what the score is. Uh, the PACER system tends to score on a block-by-block -block basis, so on any given street, you'll probably see a lot of different colors. Um, you can go in and click on any given segment, and it'll say what street you're on, and it'll give the actual number on there. So um, this data that's on here is based on 2021 PACER data that was collected. We will be collecting new data again this year um, in the late summer, early fall, somewhere around that area. So. And then this, once that's all loaded in, we'll update the dashboard accordingly. So that is the pavement condition dashboard. I'll go on to the next one. Um, this is our active projects. Um, uh, this is our active projects webpage right here. Um, and uh, this shows what is um, currently going on or what will be going on in the current year, I should say, 2023. Um, and 
you can see we've got a little pie chart over here that shows the different type, you know, the, the different types of projects that we have in there. Your street street maintenance projects, which is our kind of preventative maintenance type work, um, our street resurfacing, uh, utility work, which also has a paving component in it as well. Um, sidewalk construction is in purple, and then we've got uh, this is, sidewalk resurfacing is like address our asphalt path projects that we're addressing. So. Um, and then just like the other ones on the map over here, you can zoom in. Um, if you see something highlighted, you can go and click on it and it'll bring up a little dialogue box. It'll say um, Hill Street um, and it'll talk about what the project includes, water main, replacement, safety improvements, street resurfacing, for example. Um, and then learn more, I believe will take you, if it works correctly, it will take you to the website for that project or, um, or a related um, you know, area with where you can get more information. So, um, and again, that is for the current year's project. I believe this is, yeah, this is updated for 2023 at this point. Um, so this is a quick look to see what's going on in the current year. Uh, and this is all public facing so people can see this and get an idea of what's happening. Um, the next one we were, um, yeah, as you may have heard, there was a um, the city council approved a road bond last year um, to accelerate some road work. Um, and we were asked to create a dashboard so that we could track what is being done with that money specifically. Um, so we have that over here where you can see bond funds, how many, how, how, how we're doing on spending the bond funds, what we spent to date, um, and centerline miles road treated to date as well, and, and also the type of work that was done with that. Um, just like the other ones, we got the map over here. You can zoom in and see we've got. Uh, um, the uh, if we get in a little bit closer you can see it here but the, the reddish pinkish color was stuff that was done at the end of last year um, in 2022 some road resurfacing projects they're all got the hash pat hatch pattern on there to show that those were completed um, and then you can see what's going on in 2023 in blue and what's planned uh, for 2024 as well um, and as you can see we've got uh, Earhart Road over here as one of the bond funded streets that we were just talking about so um, and that's scheduled to happen this year. So that is specifically for tracking the bond projects. Um, and then the final dashboard as we go over here, um, let's go take that a second to load maybe. Um, this is our looking ahead dashboard. This is looking beyond 2023. And this is showing upcoming, basically street and utility projects, anything that's really affecting the road per se, um, in uh, um, the next uh, few years out, uh, 20, basically 2024 through 2028. Um, and as you zoom in, you can see the different projects. Um, this is all based on what appears in the capital improvement plan. Um, and uh, so you can, you can zoom in and see the, the, you know, the different projects. Again, clicking on them, uh, it'll provide you a little bit more information and basically say what the, um, what the project is. Um, there's not really a link to any other place because there's no website created for these future projects yet. Typically, um, The other uh, um, feature to show on this is there's these big shaded areas. Um, our major streets will show up as individual projects in the capital improvement plan, but our local streets um, kind of show up as a catch-all category of just local street resurfacing in the CIP. So these areas that are shaded show where we're planning to go, like what areas we're focusing on with that local street program in the coming year. So the blue shaded areas where we will be in 2024, 
uh, the green shaded areas where we're planning to be in 2025 and so forth. It doesn't give the individual streets listed yet because we haven't determined what those are, but it shows the general area where we plan to be each year. So, and then there's actually a whole project list down here if you wanted to scroll, if you were looking for a name or something like that. Um, so that is, uh, th those are the basics um, of what we've got uh, on the dashboard. Um, I've heard some good feedback about it so far. Um, I hope it's helpful to, uh, um, to uh, our, uh, um, you know, our, the public in general um, and our elected officials as well. So that is all I had. I'll stop the sharing here and I'll take any questions you might have. Great, thank you. Uh, Wan Wu and then Brett. Cool, thank you. Um, first off, this is awesome. Like that's the coolest thing. I am so excited to see that. I can't wait to dive in and engage with it. I think it's a, a new level of transparency. So cool, I, I can't tell you how happy I am. And see it. Um, a few questions for you, Nick. Uh, do we segment between uh, for the pavement quality? Do we segment between auto centric and non motorized pavement? So, like sidewalk quality versus road quality? No, we don't. Um, the, when we when the when the road is scored, the whole road is scored. So it's um, it, it is it is the overall pavement condition. Now that said. Um, we've done a few different like sub scoring opportunities in the past. We have had um, we have gone through the system and like specifically scored condition of bike lanes in in some cases. I don't Raymond might know, but I don't know that we do that every year. But we've done it in the past, um, and uh, we also score condition of our asphalt side paths separately too. Um, and that's not shown on here. Um, this is just showing the streets condition itself. Um, but we use that data to plan, you know, where we're going to be going to treat our asphalt paths in the future. So, gotcha. Sound sounds good. Thank you for the clarification. It would be kind of cool to see if we can um, rank again bike paths, sidewalks, and I mean, again, it might get to a level of granularity. And is that data going to be? Um, actionable. That's that's really so is, is a juice where yeah, the vast majority of our so for sidewalks, our vast majority of our sidewalk system is in concrete, and the yeah. only reason we score the asphalt ones separately is because the 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 construction to maintain those is a lot a lot different from it from paving from repairing concrete sidewalks. It, it's actually more like repaving a street um, to do those type of asphalt paths. So that's why we score those separately. For the concrete, for the rest of the, the mass majority of the sidewalk system in concrete, I mean, we do have our sidewalk repair program that yeah. just goes on a cycle and is constantly moving around the city um, on a five-year cycle and repairing those anyway. So we don't really score them because we're out there constantly repairing them anyway. Gotcha. No, that, that's really helpful. Um, which actually brings me to my next question. Um, I know we have A2 fix it, like where we're kind of like tagging in things. Um, is there an easy way if somebody was poking around here, if they could like geotag something like, hey, this is, I don't know if there's a way to kind of integrate A2 fix it into this app or if that's been a consideration. It, it's, it, yeah, it's, it, that, that's not a step that we've gone to in, or in, in terms of like actually integrating A2 fix it requests into this. Um, I think it would get really, really messy, really, really yeah. quickly if we did that. Yeah. Um, Turn that layer off, yeah. <laughs> but, but that said, I mean, those those requests, if somebody geotags a location in A2 Fix-It, 
that data is captured geospatially. Uh, this is all done through GIS with, uh, and I got to I got to credit Ethan Ethan Miller, our our G, our GIS wizard who put this all together. Um, but uh, um, he, yeah, he's a he's a true geo, GIS champion. But that data all is capturable um, from A2 Fixit and can be, I think, captured into GIS, and we can do stuff with it if we need to. But it doesn't appear specifically on here. Gotcha. It might be a cool function. Again, if there's already somebody kind of like clicking on this stuff as, uh, again, improving kind of access to feedback, but A2 Fix It actually works great. I, I, I try to tell more people about it as I, hey, you see something, um, you know, note it here. Uh, utilization data. I know we've talked about this in the past and I promise I only have this is like my last one, but uh, utilization data as far as um how frequently these roads are getting used um, versus deterioration patterns. I don't know if that, I was just trying to figure out, um, and I, I probably need to better formulate this thought, but uh, first off, I mean, do we collect utilization data other than when there's like a traffic impact study done? Um, or do we have some form of like doing traffic counts that are more regular that could be captured on something like this? I mean, other than SEMCOG, I guess, I, you know, I see SEMCOG doing those, but. Yeah, I'll 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 defer to Raymond on that side of things. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the mistake of just demoting Cynthia to attendee, so I, I could have punted it over to her. But uh, since I did that, I'll I'll take ownership of it. Um, so yeah, there there is a regular cycle of um, traffic counts um, that we conduct. Uh, admittedly, we're a little bit behind, so we're trying to get caught up on that. We we also are looking to part of the reason we're behind is we're trying to revamp our program. To make mm -hmm. sure that we're doing not just vehicular counts but on motorized counts as well um the technology is evolving so you know in the old days you've all have seen those pneumatic tubes that you would stretch across the road um those were good at counting vehicles and not good at counting anything else um i even used to back in the day put down pneumatic tubes in bike lanes and i kept finding bicyclists would swerve around them because they didn't know what it was and they didn't want to hit a, something in the roadway and get flipped over the handlebars so um, we're looking at new solutions like um, camera-based um, that's aggregated. It's not collecting any personal information or anything like that. Um, and then that way it can, you know, it does edge computing and, and like AI type stuff that'll help determine what's a vehicle, what's a ped, what's a bicyclist. Uh, and then it can also do what we call classification counts, meaning what type of vehicle. So is it, you know, small or heavy duty vehicle or bus or freight or things like that. So um, that's we're revamping that program, and then we're we're actually working on an RFP right now to do um, a pretty holistic um, set of counts. It's not the whole city. Typically, you have a a series of kind of typical roads you do, and then you rotate it around the city um, through you know three year or four year cycles. Gotcha. Well, thank you. Uh, it's really illuminating, super exciting stuff. So um, I'll give the rest of my time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brett. Thanks. Yeah, I love having this dashboard. Um, I was just a little confused on the last map, I think, of the four that you showed. What sets those projects apart from the other, the previous maps? It, it wasn't clear to me the, the the streets that are highlighted or the individual projects that are highlighted. On the on the last map that I showed? Yeah, yeah. So the previous maps were, were um, projects that are um, slated for the current year. Um, the last map that I showed is looking ahead to 2024 through 2028. 
Okay. I thought, okay, is that why then the neighborhood, the large shaded areas isn't showing what I think is supposed to happen this year, which is the area between Washtenaw here on Parkway and Gettys? If for the current year's map, yeah, I don't, let me go back here and look at it myself here, but um, yeah, that um, that area has not been populated on the current map yet. We're currently finalizing the list of streets that we're going to be doing with the current year's local street resurfacing program. So they do not show up on there yet. Okay, um, so they will, be on one of the they will very maps. soon, but they're not okay. there quite yet. They'll be on the on the active road and utility projects dashboard. Got it. Okay. And, um, okay. Yeah, that, that clears that up. Um, yeah, great work. I love seeing this. I think it'll help a lot with transparency in the community. Thank you. This, oh, go ahead, Deborah. I also love this, uh, these dashboards. They're great. I was wondering, because I think a lot of people are, you know, they want to know their road. Is the easy? Is there any way to do a search on a road name in this dashboard, or do you pretty much need to zoom in on a map? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't see a search feature on here. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't find um, one either. I mean, I explored, but yeah, in case you're yeah. iterating or taking feedback, that might yeah. be useful. I, it would. Um, it would probably be of. Some, I, the best way is to zoom in on a map, uh, on the map function and find your area. Um, the, even if we had a search feature, it might be of somewhat limited use because, as I mentioned, the local neighborhood streets don't appear by name beyond the current year. Um, so if somebody is looking to see their street, which is usually a local neighborhood street, they're not. it's not going to show up by name anyway. So... Um, the best they can do is go to and see, okay, oh, my neighborhood is shaded this color and means we're they're going to be here in 2025. So, you know, and, you know, we can't guarantee that any individual streets would be done within that area in 2025. But, you know, if it's one of the worst streets in the neighborhood, there's probably good a chance that we'll get to it in that year. Okay, so. thanks. Um, I had a comment similar, I think, to what Wan Wu was suggesting, but and I'm sorry that I was briefly distracted by a child. And so I don't think this is exactly what you were talking about, but I would love to see, you know, we've got our sidewalk gap, like dashboard somewhere else. We also have maps that I don't think are in any dashboard of our, like our goal for an all ages and all abilities bike network. And so thinking about other ways to sort of bring, um, non-motorized transportation into these visualizations. I think it'd be super helpful to be able to see like the bike network overlay, the sidewalk gap overlay, bus route overlay, um, so that we can have some sense of um, the roads that are more likely to be used by people outside of cars, like what those conditions are. So that's just another like item for the wish list, I guess. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, this looks terrific, it's great. So thank you. Yeah, and I expect these dashboards to evolve over time as we get feedback, um, you know, on, on them. We, I mean, we're there's already a couple of things that we're looking at changing on them and and, and improving. So, um, yeah, it's uh, you know, as you use them, you know, if anybody has feedback, we're happy to take it. So these are they're brand new. So <laughs> yeah, and they clearly represent a lot of work. So thank you. They're great. Um, all right. 
so I think we're going to move on to the next item. I'm trying to like keep us on time today, um, which is oh, city organization and transportation issues overview, which is something I've been asking for. I'm very excited. Um, so especially because a lot of the commission is made up of relatively new members that have not served, have served for like two years or less. Um, I thought it would be really helpful to get an overview of how transportation issues are handled by the city and sort of what the organization um, is within the city. And so Raymond is going to give us an overview and answer our questions. All right. Thank you, Molly. All right. I'm going to share my screen here. Does that look, is that coming out for everybody? Very good. Thank you. All right. So a couple disclaimers. Uh, the first is um, right in the title. This is a non-exhaustive breakdown, right? So this is uh, largely Raymond's lens. He quickly threw this together at Nolly's request to kind of think about all the different people that have fingerprints on transportation issues. And so um, I'm sure if we ask different people to put this together, they might have a different vantage point. And so I'm not trying to suggest this is, um, you know, the, the full, full picture, because pretty much everybody touches transportation in some way, shape or form, just because it touches everybody's lives. So I'm um, kind of starting, you know, at the top and working way down, you know, city council obviously establishes the policy that, um, you know, staff is to follow. And that's either done through resolutions or through comprehensive documents like the A20 plan or the Vision Zero plan. Um, but then, you know, there are several other things that council must approve. Um, a, a big thing that Nick takes on a pretty much every city council meeting is some sort of contract, you know, um, an award to a contractor or a consultant or whatever the case may be to kind of keep these these projects moving along. Um, so that's a big, you know, uh, process that uh, council does. Uh, and then the budget as well. Um, you know, we're going through that process right now. Staff is, I think, putting the final touches on this the, the budget, which will then make its way to council for, I believe, final approval in May. Um, there are other, you know, approvals as well. You know, we've talked about those with this commission in the past. Um, you know, some things change over time about whether council has to approve uh, road reconfigurations or things like that. But, um, you know, largely they, they set the policy tone for the city. And I'm sure that resonates and makes sense to most of you. Um, so then when we move down kind of to the executive level of the organization, obviously we all report up to the city administrator's office. Um, so, you know, that's Milton Dahoney. Um, and, you know, under kind of, you know, he oversees all of the city operations, but then even within kind of the city administrator, the direct reports up to the city administrator, you have Missy Stoltz and sustainability innovation. Um, and so, you know, I, all of you are familiar with the A20 uh, carbon neutrality plan. Um, but a lot of that also has to do with transportation and setting our 50% vehicle miles traveled goals, things like that. Um, and then, you know, thanks to the voters of Ann Arbor, there's a new climate millage, some of which will be set aside for transportation improvements. Those receipts will start coming in in July of 2024, and we'll start putting that money to use. Um, I've already been talking to Missy about, you know, what the climate millage could go for on the transportation space. Um, and then sustainability innovation is really taking the charge on the electric vehicles and charging piece. Um, so while, you know, engineering and oh, we'll get into that is more focused on kind of the, the built environment and infrastructure, uh, Missy's team is really looking at for those that are, you know, trying to convert people from internal combustion engine vehicles over to electric vehicles and making sure that the infrastructure can support that, especially in the charging space. 
Um, we do have a new um, director of organizational equity. Um, so, I, you know, there's a lot of um, sensitivity to make sure that we are approaching projects from an equitable, equitable standpoint. Uh, we first engaged Laura Orta, um, who is in that capacity, on the No Turn on Red uh, resolution that came out of the Transportation Commission, made its way to City Council. When City Council was deliberating on it, they had asked for a kind of equity analysis. And so we worked with Laura to kind of put something together based on some data that was readily available and some, you know, um, more um, both qualitative and quantitative um, aspects that we could we could figure out. Um, then there's information technology, IT department. Uh, they largely play a support role um, to you know all the work that we do. Obviously, you know the the websites, the dashboards, the um, they're really trying to help advance a lot of you know smart city initiatives. Some of which touch on transportation issues. Um, we're really trying to be you know, more transparent and accountable through dashboards and um, storyboards and things like that. So they lend a lot of support to us in that space. Uh, another thing to note is IT also supports um, the city's fiber network and a lot of our traffic signals are connected to that fiber network. Um, we, and years ago, the fiber network for the signal system, which is about 20 years old, was a standalone city transportation operated and maintained um, network. Now that the IT department is putting in a, a ring around the city of fiber, we're it makes sense to tie into that because then there's redundancy and there's better uh, service. It's a newer system, so it's less prone to failure. So um, we're, we're increasingly working with the IT department on that fiber support. Um, communications is another kind of department that reports up to the city administrator. All the media releases that come out, public information campaigns, social media accounts, those are all managed uh, through the communications department. Um, I'd be remiss, I, I'm kind of embarrassed, I, I didn't mention the legal department. <laughs> um, they also are under the city administrator. And so, you know, they keep us out of trouble. Um, if there are things that come up that we, you know, uh, need to make sure that we're, you know, staying on the right side of the law, we, we work with them pretty closely on a whole multitude of issues. Um, so um, it's it's a common thing for us to engage the legal department on on that may have to do with like ordinance revisions. It may have to do with FOIA requests. It may have to do with any number of things. Think kind of moving down the org chart from there. Um, if you're not aware, the the city's kind of broken into four large kind of groups. There's um, public services, community services, safety services, and financial and administrative services. Um, under each one of those kind of big groups, there are a bunch of departments um, and unit managers kind of that oversee each of those departments. This is not the full list of all those departments. I just kind of, at first I started to list them all, but then I couldn't fit it all on one page. <laughs> so I kind of kicked out the ones that maybe had less to do with transportation. So public services is the one that you engage with uh, most frequently, uh, namely myself, Nick Hutchinson, Cynthia Redinger, all of the transportation team, all of the project capital engineers, uh, the right-of-way inspectors, um, all of those are organized under public services in the engineering department. So um, I'm not trying to be biased, but our list is a little bit longer just because that's kind of our core function is to work on transportation. So resurfacing, crosswalks, signs, signals, road projects, sidewalks, traffic calming, bike facilities, transportation studies, private development review, maintenance of traffic, sightline determinations, so forth and so on. A lot of the stuff that we bring before you is generated from our department in the public services um, area. Um, our kind of um, sibling 
um, department that we share on the fourth floor is systems planning. And systems planning helps with a lot of our public engagement. Um, and, um, and you all know Kayla Coleman. She's now overseeing the capital improvement plan. Obviously, there are several, you know, portions of the, the capital improvement plan that are um, focused on transportation infrastructure. And so that really kind of sets the sort of, you know, strategy for investment for the city uh, going out several years. Um, and then Nick gave a shout out to um, Ethan Miller, who is our GIS support in systems planning. Um, you know, he we task him with a lot of stuff. He helps us with streetlights. He helps us with these dashboards. He helps us compile all the data into make sure that, you know, when we build something, it's great that exists in the real world, but we also want to make sure it exists in the digital world. So that way we can develop these spreadsheets. If council has a request for data, we can quickly pull that together. And we rely heavily on our GIS department to, to pull that together. Um, Public Works, this list is, is really a lot longer, but they just do a lot of work um, in the space. So a lot of the kind of day-to-day -day, uh, operations and maintenance of you know, the built environment falls on Public Works. So you have plowing and sweeping and pothole patching, but the list goes on. Like if there's a water main break, Public Works is the one that goes out and repairs that, which may you know, mean you have to tear up part of the road to get to that water main break. So uh, there's a whole sort of domino effect that Public Works uh, works on. They're kind of the you know, emergency responders when it comes to, you know, infrastructure demands a lot of times. Um, then fleet and facilities, you know, they provide a lot of the support actually for, you know, as the name would imply, you know, just getting the support we need to do the work that we do, the vehicles, the buildings, uh, things of that nature. Uh, and one of the things that they're really working with the Office of Sustainability and Innovation on is the green fleet you know, taking our internal combustion engine vehicles and seeing if there are opportunities to bring those over to um, electric vehicles. Uh, and the city's been pretty aggressive about, you know, converting as many of those vehicles as possible. Uh, interestingly enough, just this week, we submitted a grant to SEMCOG, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments for carbon reduction program grants for um, uh, refuse trucks, um, a series of refuse trucks to be uh, all electric. Uh, we also did streetlight upgrades as well as uh, bicycle boulevard projects. So fingers crossed uh, that one or all of those grants is funded. Um, moving down kind of this sort of org chart, we have financial and administrative services. Um, you know, again, they provide a lot of the support that we need to do our job, um, largely in the budgeting, you know, funding eligibility, procurement. They help process bills and you know, really kind of keep the city out of trouble when it comes to uh, monetary issues. Um, it, it's amazing how complex uh, funding is just because there's so many restrictions on different types of funding. You know, sidewalk millage has to, can only be spent on sidewalks on, you know, these types of conditions. And, you know, Act 51 sales or gas tax revenues uh, is split between several different pots and it can only be used in certain ways. And so, they're uh, very masterful at making sure we're spending the right money on the right thing at the right time, um, because we don't wanna run afoul of some of those restrictions and make sure that we're, we're doing things correctly. Um, next is safety services. So, you know, this police and fire, um, again, you know, the, the list is really a lot longer than, than this, but, you know, police obviously does general enforcement. I probably should let uh, Lieutenant Sherba take this one because he's way better qualified to speak to this than myself. Um, but then community standards is also organized under police. Community standards reports 
um, or, or goes out and does a lot of the like, you know, illegal parking, um, parking enforcement, um, parking in the bike lane, that sort of thing would be community standards. Community standards will also do things like, you know, if vegetation is obstructing a sidewalk, you know, a lot of those sort of like um, A2 fix it type requests, um, you know, A2 fix it get parsed out to all kinds of departments, but a lot of the stuff that requires an enforcement component will go to community standards to, to address. And then police, as I understand it, plays a coordinating role on crossing guards within our public schools as well. And I know that issue comes up from time to time with uh, this commission as well as residents in the, uh, the neighborhoods and, and community. Um, fire, um, you know, I think we all know what the fire department does, but I think in terms of the transportation space, um, a lot of what they do um, that affects the work we do it has to do with emergency response review. So an example of this, what I mean by that is uh, like a traffic calming petition, we reach out to the fire marshal to make sure that the devices we're proposing um, aren't gonna inhibit emergency response. Uh, and so, you know, they, they kind of, they check site plans for that as well. You know, they, they check a lot of accessibility for, you know, emergency vehicles um, in all types of different types of developments, whether it be on the public side or the private side. And then last but not least is uh, community services is again, one of this other big kind of cluster of departments within the city. Um, probably most notably is, you know, while we can speak to, there's the planning department. So you have the planning commission that's supported there. They handle a lot of the private development. Um, they are the keeper of the comprehensive plan. They're also the keeper technically of the capital improvement plan as I believe is approved by uh, the planning department or the planning commission. Um, and so we coordinate with them on a regular basis on you know, the comprehensive plan elements and especially the private development pieces. Um, Parks and Recreation does a lot of stuff as well. I think you know, in terms of the transportation space, um, I think of like the linear parks, like the border to border trail. Uh, again, I think Wanwu made this one of the policy agenda um, points of looking to expand that. Um, and you know, there are other transportation facilities within parks, whether they be sidewalks, whether they be you know, internal access, like if you think about like Gallup Park and kind of the network of facilities through there, uh, Parks and Recreation is responsible for those. Um, and then you have also like special events that may be organized under the Community Services Department, um, which may lead to like road closures or things like that that may impact, um, you know, circulation and, and things like that. Um, so this is just a one page quick snapshot. Again, it's not exhaustive. I did put at the bottom of this memo, a link to a memo that was developed um, just over three years ago. So if you were to click on that, is, is my screen still sharing? Is it showing a website? Okay. No, it's not showing the, it's, sh it's showing the URL, but it didn't, it didn't leave the org chart. Okay, let me see if I can. Reshare them. Okay, now you should be seeing a website um, with a document that hopefully is coming up. Yep. Yes, so we produced this document um, back at the end of 2019. So while it is a little dated, I think most of the information is still um, appropriate. Um, if you scroll down to the top of the second page, it talks about the use of transportation resources. And it it's very similar to the, the little 
flow chart or, or org chart that I just showed, um, but kind of goes into a little bit more detail about you know, how much each of these departments account for for the city's budget and kind of just some general responsibilities. So I, I won't go through these, through these in detail. This The staffing, again, has probably changed over time. So I would take that staffing um, note with a grain of salt. Um, but I think by and large, a lot of the other information is still probably pretty close to being accurate. So it talks about, you know, the city administrator and city legal, the public services area, um, and the different components there, all of which I just reviewed, um, goes into community services, which we talked about, and financial and administrative services and support from other departments as well as safety services. So, um, again, this is another resource that you have at your fingertips if you want to dive down even a little bit deeper. So with that, I'm happy to entertain any questions you might have. Again, this is really just meant to be a quick little primer, um, a little cheat sheet, if you will, about like who is it that actually does this or that. Um, and if you see something missing, like, hey, who is it that does this thing? Let me know and we can update this and maybe you know post it online or something like that so that we have it as a little reference piece going forward. Awesome, thank you. Questions, comments? I think one question that I have now, seeing how many different places various pieces of transportation sit is how coordination works across these different units. And like, I imagine there's some combination of formal and informal coordination that has to go on. And that's, I'm sure that would be a much longer presentation, but um, like at a high level, how does all of that work? Yeah, it, it, it's probably case by case. It depends on the situation. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of a good way to, to frame it. I, Probably a, a place where we all get together on a regular basis is when we have um, agenda session, which is as we're leading into a city council meeting, we go through the agenda, we talk about all the items. If there's, you know, that's an opportunity for us all to coordinate on different things. Um, the other thing to note here too, is anything that goes to council, we have, you know, the Legistar system that you see has a whole backend system that has a whole series of approvals. So for example, before I upload anything to, um, you know, council, it goes through finance, it goes through legal, it goes through a whole bunch of kind of QA, QC processes to make sure that, you know, we're not running afoul of anything. So there, there's a lot of kind of um, oversight and, and just double checking from a lot of different folks. And, and that's a good thing. Um, then I think, you, you know, you've heard uh, Lieutenant Sherbert and I kind of talk about us kind of strengthening our communication related to, you know, crashes, making sure that when you know, crashes happen. Um, obviously, they do the crash investigation, but we also want to make sure that the infrastructure uh, isn't deficient in any way. Um, and so that's like an ongoing communication thing. I also have um, a monthly check-in with uh, Andy Vayner, um, who works with Lieutenant Sherba in the police department, just to, you know, see if there are opportunities for us to make sure that we are coordinated on multiple different things. And and that's ultimately what I would say we do. Like I have, I have monthly check-ins with Missy Stoltz and a bunch of different people across the department to make sure we're well aligned. And if there's something upcoming where I need their support or they need mine, we try to make sure that we're um, coordinated in that space. 
Did I get at your question, Molly? I know it's yeah, yeah. Kind of danced I mean, around a little bit, but like organizational studies is a whole discipline for a reason. So I get that <laughs> it's a lot, but that was helpful. Uh, Dharma. Yeah, related to that. And I'm glad you asked it because it reminded me. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm still clearing my throat like three months after COVID. Um, I wonder how you interface with uh, planning. And the reason why I asked this is because I've heard some, some challenges related to new developments and not necessarily, you know, how do we make sure that there's a place for delivery vehicles and things like that that aren't getting in the way of our other transit infrastructure? And so I'm wondering if that is formalized in any kind of way or how that how that intersection happens. Yeah, that's a good question, Dara. I think a lot of it is um, site by site, right? So we we are often, um, you know, we have three transportation engineers, Cynthia, who was at the meeting tonight, uh, Cyrus Nahidi, who many of you know, he used to be on the Transportation Commission, and Luke Liu. Um, and so we are on almost every site plan uh, that comes in, especially if there's a transportation element. Uh, and so we will be part of that review. I will say, you know, a lot of this is as the face of transportation changes, there's a little bit of a learning curve for us, right? So I, you, you hit on a kind of hot topic button, which is where do we accept pickups and deliveries, especially as that sector has grown, especially with large scale multifamily residential. So, you know, when you look at the foundry on Huron Street, while there is a sort of pickup delivery spot on the backside of the building, you probably have all witnessed not a lot of people use that, or at least there's a fair amount of people that block a lane of travel on Huron. Um, I know many of you are familiar with and are frustrated with the bike lanes that get blocked on South Main Street um, on some of those um, apartment complexes as well. Um, and so it is something that we are um, flagging more frequently now. Uh, to say like, hey, we need to make sure that it, not only do you need to have a sort of pickup delivery drop-off area, but it needs to be in a place where people will use it. Don't put it on the backside of the building where no one's going to circle around the block to access it. It has to be in a sort of convenient place. Otherwise, it will defeat the purpose. People will just park in a bike lane or travel lane or somewhere where they're not supposed to. So um, that that is a, an emerging issue that we're still kind of learning and trying to figure out the best way to address. So. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have a really good working relationship with Brett uh, and Hank. Um, and so um, it's it's a dialogue that we continue to have and trying to figure out the best way to address it. Thanks. It totally makes sense that it would be a learning curve. I'm glad to hear that you were part of the site planning process. That's great. I'm not going to leave much time for people to come up with more questions because we're, we're running up on time tonight. So I'm going to move us ahead. But as other questions come up, as always, Raymond has been very generous with his time and availability, and we can, I'm sure, pass things along to him to learn more in the future. Um, but thank you for that, Raymond. Um, so next up, we have um, our staff report and updates, which is also Raymond. Very good. And I can get through this relatively quickly because the report is a little shorter because what happens is we populate a bunch of projects in January and then we're still waiting for them to kind of get really going uh, in the construction season. So the report's a little smaller. Uh, Earhart, you got an update tonight. So uh, not really much more to mention beyond that. Um, East Medical Center Drive Bridge. Um, I think there's some things in motion right now, but um, uh, there was a resolution to postpone to the February 21st meeting. So that is coming up uh, next Tuesday. Um, 
let's see, South Main Street Water Main and Resurfacing. Construction is scheduled to begin in late February or early March. So that's coming up here shortly. Uh, state trunk line jurisdiction transfer analysis. Uh, we kicked off um, just about a month ago. And right now the team is conducting interviews and collecting data to perform their analysis. Uh, Micromobility, this is one I've kind of hinted at in the past, but we are getting closer, um, actually working on a resolution for council as we speak to bring e-bikes, shared e-bikes uh, to the city as a pilot through SPIN. Um, this is a service they now offer. Um, and so this would complement the e-scooters. It is a strategy identified in both the carbon neutrality plan, the A20 plan, as well as the Vision Zero plan, giving people more transportation options. Um, so that's kind of an interesting development. We'll see what uh, council does with that information, take it to them hopefully at the second meeting in March is what we're um, hoping uh, to, to target. Uh, Streetlight implementation, just we didn't give you an update last month because we were still crunching the numbers, but uh, we did have a total of uh, 1,316 streetlight outages that were addressed by DTE in 2022. That's a little bit down from the 1,400 number from previous years, but uh, just marginally. Uh, and this year, they're already up to 109 uh, in, the in the first six weeks of the, uh, the year. Traffic calming is moving along. Granger had its second meeting um, last week, and the first, and this was the section of Granger from State to Packard. Uh, the other section of Granger from Forest to Olivia will have its first meeting tomorrow night. Um, and then Fulmer also has its first meeting on the calendar. This is Fulmer from Miller to Foss. Uh, that meeting is scheduled for February 23rd. So those projects are moving along, um, and so far we've been having a good experience with our consultant that's helping us uh, with that. Um, uh, traffic calming subcommittee uh, did have a meeting yesterday and we'll meet again uh, a week. We have three subsequent meetings uh, on the books through the end of the month. I think Molly will give an update when we get to the liaison reports. Uh, the next Vision Zero Implementation Committee meeting, it will be held at the end of the month on February 27th. And so Brett and Julie are your liaisons for that. And then kind of the big thing that we found out, I think many of you have heard, is we were awarded a $3.8 million supplemental action plan grant to build upon existing safe action, safety action plan to conduct a speed management study and pursue a quick build projects. That's USDOT's language. So um, we are hoping to kind of figure out what that means in the coming weeks. Um, I will note, as exciting as this is, I do want to temper expectations. Um, my experience on these large federal programs is it will take months, maybe even upwards of a year, before we actually have a contract with USDOT before we can start the work on this. Um, using uh, a recent grant that University of Michigan, University of Michigan got, uh, they got a $10 million uh, grant for smart intersections. And I think it took them a full year before they actually kind of had the contract and could start actually working on the project. So hopefully this will move a little faster, but I, I do want to warn you that, you know, they're, we're kind of at the mercy of, of the federal government on this one. Um, and then Suzanne Flowers, who you heard from last month, um, is continuing to kind of bolster up our education and encouragement. Um, so we are working on some bike month activities in partnership with Get Downtown and White walk bike Washtenaw. Um, there, we're also launching an internal facing Vision Zero Lunch and Learn series uh, held throughout the year where we pull different departments in. So this actually speaks to the coordination that you all were just asking about. You know, learn about the Vision Zero plan, 
learn how to incorporate it into your work. Uh, here's the work that we're doing. Here are the things that we need to be mindful of moving forward. So we really want to try to institutionalize this within the organization as a whole. Um, and then uh, Cynthia, Suzanne, and I are presenting at Michigan Association of Planning's Transportation Bonanza next week on our Vision Zero implementation strategy. What's coming out of that? Uh, Conquer the Cold has now closed. I think we have a champion in our midst in Dharma Ackman. She was just off the charts with how many trips she logged. and I slipped to fourth place. I really... Oh, no! Myself. <laughs> Well, she was the top. She was at the top of the charts for the longest time. Um, so a little tip of the hat to to her. But um, it you know it's it's a great program. Um, hopefully some of you had a chance to to participate in it. Um, it's really incredible. Just you know uh, how many trips are are made through various modes of transportation, and it's kind of fun to see the competitive spirit of some folks. Uh, I know Dharma. I think issued a ward four versus ward five challenge which i think motivated a lot of folks to participate which is kind of fun so um and then the last thing is um suzanne and cynthia are uh, hosting a peer-to-peer -peer exchange with um missouri kansas chapter of the association of pedestrian and bicycle professionals if you didn't know um the michigan chapter was founded and chaired by cynthia and suzanne so um, we, we do truly have some expertise in the bicycle pedestrian realm. And, and you can see that we're you know, reaching across the borders to, to coordinate with other communities and learn from them and they can learn from us. So uh, exciting stuff. And that concludes my report. Great, thank you, Raymond. Um, I'm gonna have us dive straight into liaison reports. So any commissioners who specifically serve as a liaison to another body or organization are invited to provide brief reports and updates. Ken. Hi, uh, I'm gonna give an update for the Ann Arbor Area Transportation Authority. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the last month, but I'll try to keep it quick. So, the big thing that happened was the ride received $7 million in funding from Congresswoman Debbie Dingell and her team for planning and construction of a new transit center over in Ypsilanti. Uh, we met with, or AATA staff met with Congresswoman and her staff on January 17th, along with uh, board members and the mayor of Ypsilanti to talk about what the current building needs are and discuss future plan designs and other things like that. We are welcoming George Brooks as the new deputy CEO of operations. Uh, he just started on Monday. He may come down and be a substitute for me on the transportation at commission at various points, but anytime that you want to get in touch with him, just feel free to drop a line. I'm sure he'll be happy to meet anybody on this committee. For the buses, we just started rolling out what we're calling text by bus signage. So every stop along the system in a few weeks from now, will have a sign on it, kind of like the University of Michigan's bus system does, that has a text number that you can dial into, then you type in the bus stop number, and it will give you the arrival times for the next several buses that'll show up at that stop. And building on what Raymond had already said about the Get Downtown Conquer the Cold program, uh, it said, I've been told that 
over 200 people logged 5,100 challenge or trips during the challenge. So I believe that was up from last year and it sounds like it was good. It was a, a successful year. So thank you. That's my report. Awesome. Thank you. Other liaison reports. One move. Uh, real quick on planning. Um, I think we're down to two uh, contractors for the comprehensive plan, uh, Housio Levine and Interface Studios. I don't know if that selection has been finalized yet, but it's down to two. So that process is moving forward. Um, and obviously, I think transportation and the consolidation of all the different elements into one comprehensive plan will be uh, obviously a big undertaking. So, but it's moving. Uh, the other thing, the, the last thing that the Planning Commission heard uh, was the 415 West Washington. It's going to go to City Council next, but it was just a PUD uh, for, um, there, there, there was an article that came out, but as far as transportation goes, um, I just wanted you guys to be aware that the, the PUD, the Planning Commission had recommended for approval. It's owned by the city. It's, uh, it's right next to the YMCA, and there's been you know, there, there were some gasoline spills, you know, 40 years ago, and we do need to do something to at least contain it. But uh, aside from that, I mean, um, the site's important because I think we can have, again, close proximity for people to be able to, you know, experience downtown, et cetera. Um, and then the next big thing that we're going to be tackling really is um, uh, electrification and a natural gas ban ordinance that's coming up, I think, March 7th. Uh, but I don't know that uh, we, we just had yesterday kind of pushed back. So um, just wanted to give you guys a heads up on those kinds of salient items from planning. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I can give a quick uh, traffic calming committee update, which is that we have been meeting and talking through um, what the current state of, tra of traffic calming is in the city um, looking at what some other cities have been doing, um, as well as sort of talking about what our current needs are and and the um, the pain points with the the current system and the the very long queue. Um, just give me one second. Meeting's going long. You need to keep waiting. Um, and uh, we expect probably in the probably by the next meeting to have. Um, something to put before the commission um, that would be a recommendation to council. I cannot at this point tell you what that's going to be, but we're going to get a lot done in the next few weeks. Um, any other liaison reports? All right. Um, moving on to commission member communication. So this is an opportunity for all commissioners to provide reports and updates. All right, I'm not seeing anyone else. So I'm gonna take a minute because this is my last meeting as chair. Um, and so I hope you will all indulge me in a brief moment of reflection on the last three years. Um, we're a relatively young commission. So I'm only the second chair that the commission has ever had. Um, so I feel like it's worth taking a moment at this moment of transition to like look ahead, look back. Um, so in the last three years, Transportation Commission has helped to rewrite the city's bike lane ordinance to accommodate new modes like e-scooters. We've contributed to what I think is a really excellent comprehensive transportation plan, and we helped end right turn on red downtown. Looking ahead, uh, we have in the works an implementation plan for 
the Vision Zero efforts, um, as well as a comprehensive speed management program. So this is all really good stuff. Um, but as I was thinking about um, my time on the commission, I mostly wanted to recognize the people who make the commission function. So um, the city staff who support the commission have the unenviable job of implementing policies and managing public feelings about the policies at the same time. Um, and they go above and beyond every day. And I'm super grateful to our staff. Uh, I also want to acknowledge all of the commissioners, past and present, who volunteer to do this often thankless and frequently invisible work. Um, serving on a commission is work, especially in recent years. Zoom meetings have meant almost all of the time commitment with none of the opportunities for spontaneous social connection um, that often like are the things that make commission service rewarding or not, not the only things, but some of them. Um, at times in the last few years, when commissioners supported projects and policies that were at odds with the preferences of some city council members, those council members resorted to both political and personal attacks on the volunteers who give up their time for the betterment of the city. Every single person on this commission is here because we wanna make Ann Arbor safer, more sustainable, and a more welcoming place for to get around for everyone. Um, so I hope that the years of commissioner purges and personal attacks from the council table are behind us and that we can focus on the critical work of improving safety, decreasing carbon emissions, and building a better future for Ann Arbor. I'm so happy to be passing the metaphorical chair gavel. I think there was, there is an actual gavel, but I only got to use it one time before the, the pandemic. Um, I'm very excited to be passing the gavel to Brett, who has shown himself to be a dedicated and detail-oriented vice chair. And I wanna welcome Megan in as our new vice chair. Uh, and I'm looking forward to continuing to serve the city as a regular commissioner. So thanks everyone. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so that's my, that's my communication for tonight. Um, now we do a call for agenda items. Um, we've got a list, running list as usual. Holly, um, did we miss an item? Did we miss the did I the ped bike crashes report? Were we? Oh, yeah, my apologies, Armand. You're right. I actually did skip over that when I was quickly going through my report. Um, there, there is what we're going to do is we're coordinating with police department so that the crashes that they respond to, um, they provide a report to council, but we're going to go ahead and start including that in uh, the monthly report. Um, sometimes I get those uh, quarterly, so I, I think I'm Lieutenant Sherbell, I'll have to work with Callista to see what the frequency of which we want to report out on those based on, you know, when it goes to council. So uh, my apologies, Arma, that slipped my mind as we were trying to race through. Um, oh, that's okay. I just, I didn't know if I missed something or, yeah. Yeah, and I will note there were a couple typos on that. The header, which is is not visible when you open a spreadsheet. If you know Excel, it, it, when you hit print, it prints differently. So the header is wrong. It's not 2021, it's 2022. It's the last quarter of 2022. You'll note that in the actual dates of the crashes that happened, but don't be, you know, don't be dissuaded by that, that header. It, it, um, but that's since been corrected. As we move forward, we'll make sure that it's, it's tip top shape. Awesome. And yeah, we had talked to also about getting an update on, um, because we talked last year about the way that um, transportation is coordinating with the police department on crash investigation. So we might, maybe we can talk about that more next month um, just to get an update on, on how that process has shifted. Um, 
other agenda items? Yeah, a few that we're tracking uh, at the moment. Um, uh, I've been talking to Dr. Jim Sayer at the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute. We, about once a year, we ask him to come give an update on what they're up to. So uh, he's on board for coming in March. Um, we tend to, about this time of year, give you an update on the street resurfacing program and any of the related projects in that space. So Jane Allen, uh, we expect to come. Um, and then I also, uh, as Larry can attest, um, there's some discussion happening at the Commission on Disability Issues related to handicap parking ordinance. So I'm going to be meeting with Larry, uh, a council member, and uh, another um, commissioner on that to kind of understand where they're going. That might come in the form of some draft resolution to the Transportation Commission. Um, we're also, um, there's been kind of a, a placeholder for a crosswalk design guideline and design process uh, update just to get people up to speed on that. Uh, we've had such full agendas that we have kind of been kicking that can a little bit, but if you know time is allowable, we'll tackle that next month as well. Great, thank you. So any other requests for agenda items, feel free to send them to Raymond and Brett, not me, and um, they will get onto a future agenda. Um, great. Oh, Brett, were you just raising your hand or were you just waving? <laughs> Uh, sort of. I, I've been told that my camera was off for a while. I don't know, it must have been a video issue. And um, so I, it looked like maybe I was ignoring your wonderful speech, which I oh. definitely wasn't. Uh, I was <laughs> sorry. And, uh, I'll, I'll say something at the next meeting. I know we're over time. Thank you, okay. though. Thanks, Brett. Um, all right. So, yeah, I'm just going to wrap this up now. Um, the next meeting will be held on Wednesday, March 15th uh, at 7 p.m. And it'll be another virtual meeting. And if there are no objections, I will adjourn our February 15th meeting. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.